Welcome to Moonday Mystic by Modern Mystic Shop, the podcast where we help you harness your intuition, your personal power, so that you can live a magical life. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Moonday Mystic. We have an interesting conversation today. So this is more of a conversation and less of an interview. So with the rise of cult documentaries like The Vow and the latest expose of cults like The Twin Flames and Teal Swan, they've made this true crime genre something that people are really consuming like crazy. So I thought that since we reach a spiritually minded audience, it's a good time to discuss cults and spiritual abuse from folks who have experienced it firsthand and come out on the other side. Lysandra Vasquez, Ali Hoffman, and I all met in an organization that some are calling a cult and have had separate experiences with cults and spiritual teachers that have been abusive. So today we're going to share our stories and our perspectives in the hopes that you guys can learn from us and what we have gone through. So welcome, uh, Lysandra and Ali. We're, we're here. This has been a long time in the making, but we're yeah. here to have this conversation. Good, good to be here. Here we are. <laughs> good to be here. <laughs> and you know what else? Like I hadn't thought about it that I loved your intro because cults have become like a true crime, like under the umbrella. It really is one of the most popular, like true crime things. And I, I don't know if either of you get this, but I just feel like I'm just constantly getting messages from people who have asked me, have you seen this documentary or this thing, just because they know I've been in so many culty things. And um, I hadn't thought about it. But yeah, it's like its own, it's its own thing in in the umbrella of true crime, which is also obviously a huge part of American culture. Yeah, I love it. I like um, cult true crime. And then like the business ones, like the fraud, that kind of stuff. I hate the just like murdery lady ones. I'm like, I can't watch more abusive women. Um, But yeah, I mean, and Lysandra, you've been watching, because this is how we started talking about that Twin Flame documentary. Yeah, the Twin Flame documentary was wild. And yeah. so that's what, um, that's why we started talking about the topic, for sure. Yeah, so for you guys, if you're interested in this topic at large, there are lots of great cult documentaries, including the Twin Flame one, including The Vow. They have an adjoining podcast from the people who have escaped The Vow called A Little Bit Culty. So if you're wanting to consume just like more cult content, um, you know, I'm pretty happy that all three of us can sit around here and kind of talk about this without being tremendously triggered because I would say that there was a time in my life where this kind of conversation wouldn't seem entertaining or mm. fun at all <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to kind of talk about. Have you? Would you guys say the same? Have there, were there been periods where maybe not ready? Yeah, or maybe wouldn't yesterday. Oh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> or wouldn't have a, wanted to identify with that, maybe. Um, and also, yeah, like I, I think there was just a period of time where it would either have been too triggering or not something I would identify with publicly. And really, this is like the first time I've ever spoken publicly about something like this, actually. Um, wow. I've been asked multiple yeah. times even to actually be in like a couple of documentaries. And that never felt true to me to like identify in that way. But I really appreciate the style of this conversation and the intention of this conversation. Um, and yeah, it just felt, it just felt like the right time to discuss and to be with the two of you, but 
yeah, it, it, it's yeah. never felt right until now, actually. Oh, well, I'm glad. I'm glad that we can talk about this. Yeah. Um, so before we get into our personal stories, I did want to just list off some warning signs of cults at the top. And maybe that can also help frame some of our stories of um, in sort of in comparison. So I was able to pull this from the dot, dot, dot. It is a reputable source um, from the Cult Education Institute which I had never even knew was a thing. And so I'm going to talk about some of these, um, sorry, these different warning signs. So I'm going to pull this up for you guys. And I'm wondering how many of these resonate. So number one, absolute authoritarianism without accountability. Two, zero tolerance for criticism or questions. Three, lack of meaningful financial disclosure regarding budget. Four, unreasonable fears about the outside world that can often involve evil conspiracies or persecutions. Uh, Five, belief that former followers are always wrong for leaving and that there's never a legitimate reason for anyone to leave. Six, abusive members. Seven, records, books, articles, or programs documenting the abuses of the leader or the group. Eight, followers feeling that they're never able to be good enough. Nine, a belief that the leader is right at all times. And then 10, a belief that the leader is the exclusive means of knowing truth or giving validation. I feel like I could say yes for the night cult experience um, for several of those. What about you guys? Uh, All of those. Like when I think of of the totality (laughs) of my experience of just the last 17 years of being parts of of all different types of trainings and communities, every single one. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Lysandra? Yeah. I mean, every single one of those, uh, when you said something, a person's face came to my mind and a situation where that was the case. So yeah, Yeah. checked out. Yeah, for me too. And actually the ones that really got me out of my culty situation or my cult situation, which I'll discuss in the like further, is the one about the belief that the leader is right of all t- at all times and that they're the exclusive means to knowing truth or giving validation. And then the feeling that they're the followers are never good enough. Like those three are actually the revelation of that for me inside myself was like mm. what finally got me out the door. Um mm. So I would love to hear, so all of us, like I mentioned in the intro, we're not naming names exactly, but all of us met in a um, spiritual community, yoga community that has been mentioned by some people to be a cult. And I think we'll discuss that down the line, whether we all might have different opinions as to like what qualifies for that experience or if it's culty or not. But I'd love for us to share a few minutes each about our experience and why we feel like we're a good group to kind of cover this topic. Um, Ali, would you mind going first? Do you want to share sure. you know, your experiences? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I'm going to start with just like what drew me to be part of culty or cult like things in the first place. Um, so really like I, I was looking for meaning from a lot of loss that had happened in my life. So when I was in high school and my teen years into my college years, I was in school for journalism and music. And that felt very much like the, the direction my life would have gone. And not into anything like what we're talking about today. And um, my dad and brother both had cancer. And then into college, my 
dad passed away. And like towards the time of his passing, we started to get, my dad had been into spirituality and actually some things that my mom thought were too culty when they were much younger and um, that they had had a little bit of conflict about. And then he had kind of backed off on those things. But when he was, you know, in the last years of his life, we started to get more into spirituality and more into discussions of these sort of things. And then after my dad passed and it was such a profound spiritual experience, I went back to college and I just felt like there was no place to make meaning in the normal world anymore for what I had just experienced. Like there was no priority on the things that had become the priorities of my life, like healing and spirituality and spiritual experience and connection. And, um, and I needed to make meaning out of what had just happened. And when I, I remember when I got back to school after a few weeks, um, it was during, it was 2004 and it was like uh, Bush had just won uh, he had just beat John Kerry in the elections and I was going to journalism school in Boston. So this was like the tragedy of all tragedies to my professors at the time that John Kerry didn't win. And I remember I came back into the class and my professor called me out in the middle of the room and said, you really need to get your writing back on track. And someone raised their hand and was like, she just came back from her dad dying. And my professor said, Bush just won. That's the real tragedy in right now. And I just was like, this is not for me. Like this, this normal world where like, there's not space to be a human and to like heal and to, to really explore the profound spiritual experience I just had, like, this is not for me. And so I was young and vulnerable and my brother and I had just both gone through that experience. And so he had started to learn about some of these communities and some of these programs where you could like learn how to do healing and coaching work and learn about, um, spirituality and nutrition and it was like we're gonna go here and so like by the time I was 20 it was like oh this whole world I thought was gonna be my life can't be my life there's no place for me there's no understanding of what I just went through there's no compassion for it and I want to create a life that's about purpose for what just happened and so there was all these communities that were so welcoming and, and so ready to support that experience is what it felt like. And so what it also felt like is, oh, if they're interested in these things, then everyone here must be in integrity. That's kind of like the opening was, I didn't really have a lot of adult life experience. I didn't really have any, I was 20 years old when I first started being part of all these types of communities and experiences and trainings. And so I didn't really have a lot of life experience yet. And I also just assumed everyone had good intentions. If they wanted to be part of something like this, every leader had good intentions. Uh, I had like not a lot of discernment because I didn't have a lot of experience except to see that the world I was coming from didn't give, didn't care about these sort of things. So I just wanted to share that as like, that was kind of my entry because I've been part of a lot of different trainings and my, my own profession in life is as a spiritual you know, healer and guide and has been since I was 22 years old. So I've been in this world for a lot of years. Um, and I almost feel like I'm, I'm less was like deprogramming from any one cult, although I've definitely been part of things that have a documentary, you know, on Netflix or it's coming soon. It's more like I needed to deprogram from a cult like way of thinking that had pervaded my way, my sense of self and identity and how the world worked and what I was responsible for. I felt the, the responsibility to heal the world to, to, in order to make meaning from what had happened. And so like, I feel for me, my work has been 
unwinding from the whole way I lived as an adult until the last few years, while still holding value and utility and devotion to like a lot of spiritual principles and, and the way, and that way of life. Um, so yeah, like that's, I'm happy to talk about individual things, but it's more a way of being that began from trauma, really, you know, like yeah. trauma kind of created, um, a, a door to open into okay. that way. And that makes sense to me. And I bet that's going to be a, th- a thread between the three of us, that trauma mm-hmm. piece as the door opener. Yeah. Um, and also like the trying to establish an identity or a community or like-minded people that felt like we had same values, right? Mm-hmm. And it felt like, and, and maybe we just have some of the same values potentially in these circumstances, but maybe not all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, and I think another thread that might we might see through all of our stories is like, it turned like you thought it was one thing and that was there was an integrity and then maybe you found out or experienced or it felt off down the road that maybe that wasn't the case. Did you have that experience? Well, you know, I always think that <laughs> I always feel like I got a backstage pass I didn't ask for. And so I think with a lot of these communities, uh, harm has to do so much with the individual person. So it's like how stable the person was in the first place, you know, like uh, the direction there, what life went while they were part of these organizations. And it's also like, how close to the center did you get? So I think there's people mm-hmm. who have been part of a lot of things. And even the community we're part of, like where I oriented in that, like I don't, I didn't have a harmful experience. Although like there's, there's things that I feel like, hey, there was um, a lot that we didn't ask for uh, anyone to elaborate on. You know, there was a lot that was mm-hmm. just said, this is how it is and this is the right thing. But I don't feel like I was partic- like in particular harmed at all. And I think it just depends on where you are in the community. And so in the communities where I got really deep into the inner circle, like I think there was more harm. And that's why you often see that the people who were the staff of these communities or deeply involved, like have a lot more to heal than people who were a bit more on the exterior and maybe wished that they were closer to the center of the nucleus of the thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I would say like in my cult experience outside of the community where we met, I'm not mm-hmm. considering to me, but it was it was like it it switched to get more cult-like and more controlling and more all of it the closer that I got to being on the team. Mm. And then once you become a part of a team of something like that as like um most of the time it's like a no pay or low play pay employee or like a trade a lot of times like with me they'd want to like might call it seva they might call it something else it's oh, trade yeah. <laughs> seva, it's everywhere yeah yeah um <laughs> yeah the closer you get to it the um yeah the more harm is available um so lysandra i invited you into this conversation because you have a really interesting perspective regarding spiritual abuse so like to in one way it's almost like a cult of you and one person in a weird way. Um, will you share a little bit as much as you're comfortable about, about your experience? I think this is really important because a lot of people won't be in a group, but a lot of people pay people like me, for instance, and or Ali to advise them, right? And to be like a seer or, or whatever. Um, and this is, I think your story is really valuable for, for 
that, which is even more common. I think more people will go see a psychic or see a teacher than join a whole group program. Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, my diff, my experience is definitely different. I don't think I, especially like even in the group that we all met and like Ali said, like you're, um, I wasn't really a member. I wasn't, I really, I was more working. Uh, I was like kind of like a, I was definitely, I definitely saw a lot of things in that group and I was, but I was kind of like, I got behind the scenes pass. Like you said, I was like kind of crew and also not, I was, I was kind of able in that sense. It was perfect that I was a photographer because I was able to like be in it, but not be in it. Mm. So I would, they allowed me to see a lot, but I wasn't directly experiencing a lot of it personally. So there was other than my relationship specifically with the leader of that group that caused harm. Mm. Uh, but that was separate from the, the, the teachings. Um, yeah. So I think that, um, well, a lot of things can be culty. There's not just spiritual stuff that can be culty. I've been in, I'm a, I'm a group. I, I don't, not with like the group of spirituality stuff, but I'm a group, um, I'm a group uh, activity gal or have been because (laughs) not really. I mean, I don't consider myself to be that necessarily, but I have done a lot of like uh, group trainings in terms of like, because I used to play sports a lot. Mm -hmm. So I played sports. Um, I was in a lot of clubs, Um, just not really for a sense of belonging, but but just more for something to do uh, growing up. And then, uh, in terms of when I started performing, I was acting and in that you take acting classes and in those worlds. And like, even now with comedy, um, you're around all the same people all the time because you have a shared goal. And that's kind of the same thing as with the spiritual communities where you all have this sh- same shared goal and you're always coming to practice. Mm-hmm. You're coming to get better, like to, in, in the spiritual co- uh, communities, you're getting closer to God or whatever the, the goal is. But in, in art, you're getting closer to, you're getting better at your craft. And so uh, even before the, the, the psychic that I worked with, that, that woman, I, I experienced um, like the, there's a cultiness and that same kind of mentality um, with acting teachers and stuff like that. Uh, so it's not just like you, you put these people on a pedestal and you want their about, like you want their approval. You want them to like, you spend all your time thinking about that and you work really hard to get it. So it's, it's not just spiritual stuff that can, cause I think that sometimes there's that people are like, Oh wow, you're so dumb. <laughs> like you fell for this like yoga guy, not dog. Like it happens in a lot of different, um, arenas sports you can think a coach is like the bee's knees and like put all of your um power into that person and that that can be like a an abusive type of relationship too so I feel like that's been more of my my experience um what I'm willing to share about my experience with the one with the one main person that I feel like was my main spiritual abuser which um, first I think that a lot of stuff has to do with, like Ali said, trauma, where you're seeking uh, some, like, uh, something that maybe you did it in a way that you didn't get it. 
And I think that I had female mentor type figures that would come into that had come into my life in various different roles that filled a more perhaps saw me in a different way than my mother did. And so they would come in and fill those gaps and be able to understand me wholly to where, um, you know, my mom, I'm Puerto Rican. My mom just comes from a different culture and doesn't understand me. And so when these uh, like mentor type women would come in, they would understand me Mm -hmm. and they would be able to uh, nurture me and help me get to the me that I thought I, so that's how I initially met this this person and it's, uh, she was my best friend's sister and, you know, uh, also was a psychic. <laughs> and so that, that wasn't the reason why I connected with her, but it definitely made me feel, uh, it ultimately led to me feeling like she had better access to the divine than me. And it ended up that I, at that time in my life, little by little, because it doesn't happen, you don't hand somebody your wallet immediately. I mean, I guess you you could, but you don't. But like, it was like 1% at a time. It was just like every conversation we would have or every interaction, I would give her just a little bit more of my power. Because I'm like, well, she's she knows better. And I was so depressed <laughs> and sad and didn't know what my li- where my life was going. So I was just like, well, she knows. And then it, spoiler alert, it, it crashes and burns when you do that, when you give somebody else your power. So Lysandra, for you, was it a one-time experience that you like knew you had to get the fuck out of there? Or was it little by little, just sort of how the trust was passed over little by little? I think it was little, it, it was little by little, but then I started, um, my body was reacting in such a way that like, I couldn't, like, I would wake up and start crying. Like I would wake up crying and I was so, and I was going to therapy at the time, uh, twice a week to, I was seeing a a therapist in LA twice a week. And, uh, she really for a couple, like, and it it was a gradual process to get out of it because at the time I was working for her and she was my only employer. So I was also, um, yeah, I was like, I was really, there was a lot tied yeah, together. So yeah, yeah, so it was really difficult. And so it was not only just the financial piece, but the emotional piece too. Cause, um, I felt like I had to like the, I felt like I, it wasn't like a job that I could just be like, all right, I quit. Here's my two weeks, blah, blah, blah. It was not that I had to, with my therapist, I worked with like an exit plan Wow, yeah. because it was so uh, so much emotionally. And like, I just, it, she would have made it for me in my, from even now that I look at it years later, she would have made it extremely difficult on my end. If I had just said, Hey, this isn't working for me. Yeah. It, that wasn't an option. I had yeah. to be like, I, I moved home to Florida for like nine months. I was like, I have to go. Yeah. And what, how old were you? Was that in your twenties as well? Like Allie? Yeah. Yeah. I was, um, this was after I left CalArt. So it was like 2015. Okay. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm going to take a second to share 
to share my story because it's similar in different ways to both of you. And another theme I'm noticing is I was in my mid 20s. So I feel like those people that are listening that might be in your mid 20s, this might be like a period when you're trying to find yourself and you're seeking and might be more susceptible to some of these parental figures stepping in or just trying to find yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, there's a lot of similarities. I was in my mid twenties and I felt like I checked all the boxes and my life looked how it was supposed to look with the job and the condo and the boyfriend and the whatever, but I was deeply unhappy. And so I decided that I needed to try to get help somehow. And I had a friend that I was working with and uh, working for her in her nonprofit. I was volunteering And then another friend that had gone to this just like amazing workshop where you just like go in and you kick and you you scream and you cry and you come out and it's supposed to be like seven years of therapy in one weekend. And everyone that I had talked to, there were two people that I really trusted. I learned, I come to learn that like they were dabblers in this like culty place. So to them, it probably wasn't a cult. It was probably a place for like spiritual, spiritual development and self-help and all that. I didn't know anybody. I decided to do it. I signed up for the weekend and I had a really amazing experience. I had a lot of cathartic experiences there that was helpful to me. I learned a lot about myself. I had like this person they called an angel that was assigned to me who is now actually a friend of mine still um, to like guide me through the weekend. I just, and as a person that loves, I've learned, like I've made my career, I love transformation work and I love evolving and changing and growing. I was like, yes, this is a place to do that. Um, And then I started getting deeper and deeper. I was enrolling in every program. I was doing like work study, which is basically working there for free. Um, And then I moved to New York during that time. This this place was like a small place located in Atlanta. And uh, from a afar, I decided to sign up for their year and a half long course. And I was coming back and forth to Atlanta to do these like immersive weekends. And I was having at this point still like very profound experiences. And during one of these times, these profound experiences is when I had what turned out to be a psychic awakening where that's when I started sensing and seeing it was like an overnight thing. I, I had a I had a healing actually in the group where I had like a cyst on my wrist that got completely healed. I had so many miraculous things happen. Um, and I thought finally, like after years of being in this group and like be- becoming like a leader in the group myself and like helping with lead teams, et cetera, I was like, I found my place. And then I had the psychic awakening, which is what I thought we were all there for, to have our own connection to spirit. Well, when I had that psychic awakening and I... It helped me hear, sense, and see all that was going on in this cult agreement. It helped me realize when I was sharing it with my teachers and mentors, like I can hear, they called it the listening. I was like, I have the listening. I can hear now. Like I I did it. We did it. Like, yay. I was made to feel like I was trying to be special, that you're hallucinating. Only the leader can hear. Who are you to say? Like all of that stuff. And because I was so afraid, because I think I was looking for what I got from them was like paternal figures, what I got from them or maternal and paternal figures, I got, I was trying to find my identity and what I felt like they were doing there for me was like breaking me down. They were having these like, they were always glorifying like these ego deaths, which if you really, if your ego really does die, you're like screwed, your ego is valuable. 
so that they could sort of like name me and tell me who I am, like who are like, and, and through their eyes. And I was just wanting to be seen so bad. So around this time of the psychic awakening, I decided to move back to Atlanta and actually moved in with one of the leaders of the cult, like in the, cause I started buying all these houses in the same neighborhood and I was living there. I was working there and I was having a very hard time making money. And I usually never had an issue making money, which is very interesting. And then any money I was making was going to my living expenses, which was technically going to the cult. And during this time, like I was like, okay, I'm going to cut off my psychic abilities. They told me like, if I can continue channeling, I couldn't live there because I was opening up vortexes and doing all this bad stuff. Um, so at the same time, I met this other woman, Joanne Cohen who's become a mentor to me because I was having these psychic experiences and I was seeing angels. She was hosting an angel circle and I went and she just really took me under her wing and was helping me with my psychic abilities and told me, and she didn't charge me anything this whole time. She's never charged me really for anything, but she was telling me like where you're at isn't actually supporting you. If anyone's telling you to like cut off your connection to spirit. Like they're not for you. Like if anyone, like she was just showing me all the warning signs, but for months and months I wouldn't leave. Like I was so afraid because I knew anytime anyone left there, you lost the whole community. And by that point I'd been in with them for about five years. My whole, all my friends were there. They were my friends. I had met my husband there. Like I was very connected. And then one day I like caught them in this big lie and my into it was what I needed. My intuition was saying something shady is going on. I got confirmation. It turned the light on in my head that like every sh sketchy feeling I was having was probably right. And I literally moved out of this house in the middle of the night. I snuck out. I had my husband. He wasn't my husband yet. My boyfriend at the time picked me up in a car and I left and never went back. And I did lose all my friends and no one would talk to me anymore. And I had to go through this process of like huge loss and I had to go to the process of um, trusting again. I didn't have a teacher for years after that, years and years. And I just, I kind of went the other way. I decided like, I'm my own mentor. I'm my own teacher. I'm my own God. I went all the way the other direction until I found the teacher <laughs> that we share. And for whatever reason, that woke something up in me. Um, and I felt called and and that felt aligned to me. But it was hard. It was hard to build my whole livelihood around that place. And it got, it, and I'm just breezing over it, but there was a lot of weird stuff where I was humiliated in front of class. Like anyone that thought they were smart, they would try to like cut you down. They would use personal information that they had about you to kind of twist around to keep you feeling insecure that you had to keep coming back to them. They were creating problems for you to solve, to pay them more money to solve. Um, but the good thing is I learned, I did get a lot of tools. I learned tarot there. I learned my healing modality there. I learned my Buddhist studies there. Like there, it's confusing because there's a lot of gold and the people there. I want to talk to you guys about the people that you have found in these places are just so well-meaning, like the people that are attending. Um, but I lost all of them. And now I've been out of that situation for I don't know how long, maybe 10, 10 plus years. I can't remember. Um, and almost everyone that I was there with has since left and has identified it as a cult. And they had experiences like mine and some much worse, depending on how long you were there. They were starting to do like arranged marriages. They were starting to do like 
health. They were taking care of people's health. Like if someone had cancer, they were trying to tell them to get colonics and not chemo, or it just started crossing so many lines to where like, even when I was living there, I had to tell them everywhere I was coming and going. I had to tell them who I was spending time with. It was very intense. So that's my cult story. (laughs) Um, yeah, it, it plagued me for a really long time. And then I would have dreams. I don't know if you guys ever had this and I can't tell because the leader was a very psychic person. I can't tell if she was coming into my dreams, but I would have these nightmares where she was like, the scariest one was, she was like, I planted something in you that's going to kill you, but you'll, you will never know. You just know that every day you're living is because I'm letting you live. And at any time I could like press this switch and you'd be dead. I was having dreams. That was a recurring nightmare that I had. Like that's how far into my psyche that this, this got, you know? Um, but if it wasn't for, so not all teachers and mentors are bad because if it wasn't for Joanne that like luckily st- I stumbled across who didn't have an ego about things and who really wanted me to like um, be well, I, I don't know if I would have known how bad it, it was getting. But I was feeling miserable too, Lysandra. I was scared. I was feeling less and less empowered. I was confused as to like who I am, what I'm doing, what's real, what's not, because they were just having me in my head all the time. Both of you, I just want to say thank you for both both of you of what you just shared, I think is just such a profound like transmission of the experience and also of the healing you both have had. And um I just think so many people who listen to this are going to identify very nuanced because the whole, this whole topic is just very nuanced is like what is, it's like some teach, like, it's like this work and the teachers have also been so supportive. And then it was like, you had to use those modalities and teachers to heal the harm. And, and like, I, I just so appreciate the nuance both of you just brought to, to the topic, even just like also what you brought up around Lysandra around like the sports teams and the, you know, I really relate to being someone who joined those sort of all immersive, all intense sort of things. ML, like as soon as I got into college also, it was like MLMs are a whole other element, you know? And um, yeah, I just really, I mean, really what my reaction is, is just like a, um, really a reflection of gratitude for both of you in the way you just shared that. And the, the little details that you brought in that I think um, will really help people who listen to this identify like the path, because I think people can feel very, very confused and foggy and disconnected from themselves because we start to identify as people who always have something wrong with us. There's always something to heal. There's always something that's off. And like the biggest, the biggest damage I feel like I got that I had to heal was just the idea that I didn't get to have the normal pleasures and joys of life that they had to always be if there was room left over after I had invested in the personal growth and the spiritual work, maybe I got to have the human experiences the rest of my friends and family got to prioritize. And um, yeah, I just really, I don't know, I just really want to reflect my respect and gratitude for what both of you just shared. That was my, that was my only segue is just, thank you both. That's a great segue. You mentioned like the fog, um, which is interesting because that's exactly how I describe how I felt um, towards the end of my experience with the person that, um, that I mentioned. 
and um, it felt, and I think I'm naturally somebody who has a good compass for myself, like for myself. I, so even though, like I said, even though if I've been a part of groups, usually I'm, I'm usually like very independent still within those. So for me uh, to get to the point where I gave so much of my Mm -hmm. power away to uh, one particular person, uh, it was essentially like taking my light. And mm-hmm. I've, I've, the way that I describe that time in my life is like being in, in a dark fog, like, and just not being even able to see my hand if it was right in front of my mm-hmm. face. And so getting out of that took a lot of, of work to get through that. And obviously the biggest challenge was getting away from that situation while you're so foggy Um, it's hard to have a direction it's really hard but like my god at that point it was just like I I, well that's where I found the I was able to just like rely on the few people that I really could trust which was my family so Mm -hmm. and I so I I do feel for people that because a lot of the times in these in these situations, people do cut off their family or their friends, and that is a part of the process of them getting groomed into these worlds. Um, but um, that wasn't my experience. More so that like I just needed somebody that I felt safe with that knew that could help me return to me because I was no longer. I kind of. Um, even though I, it's weird because like, if you were on the outside, you'd be like, oh, she's the same. But for me, I felt like my light was completely dimmed, completely like basically snuffed out. Mm -hmm. It was, it's a, it's a time that I, I wouldn't wish that feeling on anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And you're reminding me of a couple of like, that's a key thing. If you feel like you're getting depleted, giving your power away, having your light snuffed out. And then, you know, I would just say a couple of warning signs that I always knew. So like the longer people stayed in this cult, the more androgynous they dressed and the shorter their hair was like all the leadership had very, oh, (laughs) very (laughs) short hair. And I remember talking to my best friend, Jill, who I had met in this, this work. And it wasn't culty for her because she was in and out enough. I said to her, if I cut my hair off, get me the fuck out of there. Cause there was something in my psyche that was like, that means I'm in too deep. And wouldn't you know, I cut my hair off. And I remember when I remember after I wound up leaving this place on my own, I said to her, I was like, why didn't you get me out? That was my, that was my cry for help. I told you like when I get my hair cut. So I would just say like, I, I do think that some of these like groups that where everyone starts looking the same, dressing the same, because that's the place where we met was a little similar to that too. I also think that like anytime where the individuality isn't right appreciated, that might be also like a little bit of a red flag. Red flag. <laughs> I, I think you shared yeah. something super important, Kelly, in your story that would also be a sign, which is like the encouragement to keep investing in transformation and growth that's supposed to create these individually like individuation and success and like your individual desires and goals manifest. And then anytime you're coming into more vitality and fullness and power and ability, if it's not directed back towards the leadership and back towards the organization, it's seen as troublesome. Mm -hmm. Like, 
Yeah. You really pointed that out. And I feel like you do see that often. Like you, unless you're bringing those, those energies towards the group and towards the leader, you're, uh, I, I feel like you oftentimes see people who were, who once were building you up, start to diminish you and be like, Oh, well, that's just the side effect of being in this, this thing. I mean, yeah, you, of course yeah. you're having that happen because you're, ha you're, you're around this, you know, like, the, the right, diminishing right. of, well, the whole point of this was for everyone to develop. I, you spoke to that earlier in your story too. Like, well, I thought the whole point of this was that we each found our own wings, you know? And then once yeah. you do, when, if that's seen as threatening or if it's diminished, unless you want to bring it to the group, like that, that to me is um, something that's like kind of a nuanced thing that you have to be listening for and looking for. But like, are your successes celebrated or are they not celebrated unless they're being brought back to the community? And um, yep. if you don't mind, I'm just going to add one more thing. Cause that was when I first came home. So like my sort of ending of being part, my culmination of like the most culty and also most important time in my life was when I was living in LA, like everything I did in LA is now in a documentary or could have been, you know, and um my brother unexpectedly, who was like my partner kind of in this world, unexpectedly passed away. And it was very shocking, like to see the reaction of people who were given such publicly touted as like leaders in healing and all and just seeing their behavior in it was like kind of the first rocky experience for me. And then I came home and did some therapy for the first time in many years. And that was when my therapist was like, oh, you're healing from your brother, but you're also deprogramming from a cult. And, and what I realized was like, like, she identified like you've been in a cult and truthfully, it's not for me, as I said, again, it's not any one, although I've been in ones that were more cult like than others. It's a whole way of belief of over responsibility, over accountability, over pressure that I, and finally I had to have something that significant and severe happen where everything that I thought I was doing to prevent that couldn't prevent it. And like, it brought me into a new level of reality. But the thing that happened for me too, was like, I started to feel a lot of shame that I wasn't paying the therapist more and that I was getting so much support without it being like, okay, now you have to share publicly how much this helped you. Or now that you're doing so well in therapy, this, we're going to bump the price up. Like now you have to pay this amount. Like I got so used to my success um, meaning that I may need to owe the coach more or like do something publicly to show people it was such a great thing and like, um, like vouch for them. And I'm not saying there isn't a time for testimonials or there isn't a time where it's time to, uh, spend more money or invest more money in something depending on what it is. But like, th that was something that I realized in my healing was like, I'm so used to my personal success or prosperity needing to go back into the thing um yes. that it was like part of my healing was not needing to do that with the therapist and we had to like openly really speak about that like the shame I felt that she wasn't being paid yeah. more or that like you know I you know like it was just a whole part of it that I didn't even recognize until I was doing that that work with her yeah, I'd like to build on that because because I another experience I had that's a little similar or, or that might be a separate red flag is when also like your transformation work and change 
when the organization or the teacher takes credit for it and it's not like you did the work and you paid the money and you showed up and you worked your ass off. And that's kind of a little bit like what you're saying too. It's like, like I always felt like I was indebted to the cult Mm. for my growth and change. And I attributed my success to them even the fact I was paying for it and I was doing the hard work and I would say like how I've taken that into my practice as a teacher and a, a reader is I'm very quick to push the, the praise or the good job or the claiming of the change and transformation for my client that's actually doing the work and making the investment and hearing, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I'm very quick. So I would say if you're with like a reader or a teacher or in a group where they're trying to take credit for your success, that's also a red flag for me where it's instead of them saying like, good work, you're doing great. Keep it up. You know what I mean? Um, did you guys have any of that experience? Like trying, them trying to like take your. Thanks for listening to part one of cults and spiritual abuse with Kelly Knight, Sandra Vasquez and Ali Reina Hoffman. Tune back in next week for the final part of this two part moon day mystic series. See you there. Thank you for listening to Moonday Mystic by Modern Mystic Shop. Moonday Mystic is hosted and created by Kelly Knight, produced by Ariel Duncan, and inspired by magical listeners like you.